Welcome back, everyone, to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the great Muppet caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. And I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we are very happy to have a first-time guest. Guest, introduce yourself, please. Hey, everybody. I'm Peter Papazoglu, uh, a once-and-future contributor to ToughPigs.com. That is true. And uh, Peter is a longtime Muppet fan friend of ours from the the Tough Pigs forum and beyond. I think, actually... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been a, I was a founding member of the wiki of the Muppet wiki. I collaborated oh, yeah. with Ryan and Stacy on a, uh, on a puppet musical. Um, so, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Fun. Yeah. And uh, thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. And today we are looking at minutes 17 and 18 of the great Muppet caper in which the Muppets conclude the happiness hotel song our three heroes check out their room, and we get to know Lady Holiday. Um, something I didn't really mention last week about the the Happiness Hotel number. I just love how the Muppets are pretty much... They never stop moving during this whole song. They're dancing, they're swaying, they're like uh, going up and down, back and forth. It's... I wonder if some of this was the choreography of uh, Anita Mann helping them to kind of take this stuff to a, another level. Yeah, that seems likely. Any it thoughts on feels... the choreography? <laughs> it actually feels a lot like a Muppet show number based on sort of the use of the balcony and the fact that it's all interior, which you don't get a lot of actually in the Muppet movie. That's true. Right. And we, we've talked about that, how this one feels much more artificial and stage bound than the Muppet movie does. And I not... Not to its detriment, I don't think. It, it, and it, it seems feels more like, it. yeah, right. It's 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 an old fashioned studio musical. Yeah, I guess Muppets are always moving nonstop during musical numbers. Maybe it's just that this being a movie, they have more puppeteers, so there are more Muppets on the screen. So it just feels like there's a lot. Uh, but they've also staged stuff with like that long hallway, and you have Muppets coming off of the sides, and you know, obviously in front of the camera. But there's a door in the back, and You've got them all sort of just, you've got a lot of things for Muppets to pop out from behind. Right. Yeah, it gives them more space to work with, for sure. And they, yeah. they take advantage of it. Um, yeah, and then this, this uh, toward the beginning of this clip, brings us to the end of the Happiness Hotel number, uh, which we have kind of covered in the last couple episodes. But Peter, do you have any general thoughts on this song or the the staging of it has the song spanned that many episodes yeah it started about halfway through two episodes ago and then a full episode full two minutes and then this is the tail end it's about three and a half minutes long so okay yeah no i was uh yeah uh dismayed that we only got a, a couple of lines at the end um because i so love talking about musical numbers but uh yeah, I mean, I just think that this is a, a, a fun number. I think that in general, the the songs in uh, in the Great Muppet Caper are a little just they're a little lighter, a little bouncier. You know, all of the songs in uh, in the Muppet movie have some sort of even the fun ones. I feel like have some sort of melancholy to them um, when you don't really have any of that here. Hmm. I get the, I'm trying to think maybe the only one that I would think would be an exception would be, can you picture that? But oh. even, even that has some sort of like, I think some, there's something deep going on there. And I know maybe it's sort of like LSD fueled, <laughs> but like, 
there's something going on beyond the below the surface on can you picture that i think sure um the 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 other one i would say is you're making me want to go back and look for the melancholy in moving right along uh yeah a lot of it is about them being lost well that's true i don't know how melancholy that is but it's kind of you know they're not they're not going anywhere they're happy but they're 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 you know i mean they are in song Right, they're lost in Canada for a while. So. <laughs> yeah, true. maybe it's wrong to say all of them, but I feel like a lot of them have a a, a little bit of uh, yeah. There's a little bit of melancholy there, and here you know, almost all the numbers are just big, bright, bright musical numbers. Yeah, yeah they're, they're pretty sure. much all just having a good time. Well, and can can I add one final note about the song? Yeah, absolutely. At the end here, um, Kermit and Fozzie sing along with the with the final line. We'll fit right into the happiness hotel. Yeah, the all, the whole staff and residents of the hotel kind of gather in a big crowd, and then Kermit and Fozzie kind of dance their way and, right in front of that crowd. And that's the first time Kermit and Fozzie have sung in the song. So it's like they they join the group. They they are part of the Muppets now at mm. the Happiness Hotel. Oh, interesting. You, you know, I mean, they, they fit right they, into the song just as they fit right. right into the whole group. Right. Exactly. And of course Gonzo too, but he he has to take the picture, so he doesn't he doesn't actually stand with the group, right? Which brings us to the next thing that happens: the whole the whole group is is uh, crowded together. There, Gonzo uh, asks, tells everyone to say cheese and takes the picture. When the flash goes off, all the Muppets' pupils constrict to tiny dots, and I think this is hilarious. I love when they do these gags where they mess around with the physical puppets themselves. I know some people are weirded out by this kind of thing. Like we definitely heard uh, from some people who did not like Miss Piggy's angry eyes in the Muppet movie. But mm-hmm. um, uh, those people were not my children. <laughs> They're my a fan of Piggy's loved, angry eyes. They were a fan, not just of Piggy's angry eyes, but like all of Piggy letting loose on uh, on Mel Brooks and his henchmen. It was, <laughs> a, it was a sight to behold. Um, That's great. Talk about yeah. Oh, I, I love it. I love, I love throw them up. It is, is one of my favorite gags. I yes. love angry eyes or change of eyes in, in any kind of way. Um, well, and, and, and those bits. Well, and this specific one, there are at least six characters who normally don't have visible eyes. Yeah. I, I counted I actually... 10. I counted oh. fully half. Okay. Here's, oh, here's oh, who oh, I okay. have. The Swedish chef, mm-hmm. uh, Slim and Zeke, who are two members of the joke. Oh, sure. Band. Yeah. I didn't think about and, them. And also um, Bubba from the Jug Band. Oh, he doesn't have eyes either. Okay. Wait, which one is he? He's the one with the, the hair the, over his eyes? Yeah, he's got the big, black, bushy eyebrows. Yeah, okay. Um, then Lips, Zoot, Floyd, Janice, Pops, and Bunsen. Did I leave any out? That's it. Yeah, wow, that's, that's crazy. So many. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about the Jug Band, and I didn't think about the Swedish Chef. So ten. It's funny. It's funny that you said you didn't think about the Jug Band, because when I watched this, I'm, I remember I said, oh, yeah. There's that jug band. And for whatever reason, I grew up with like the Playhouse videos and like the two that I had from the library that we had, you know, made secret VHS copy tapes of <laughs> had yeah. all the, they, they all had songs from the season one, go, go, la, la, juke band, uh, not juke <laughs> band, jug band. And so I was never familiar with this other jug band. That's really funny. And, and so I went looking online today to find out, well, what were they in like the last season? No, they were in four seasons of the show and maybe they were in a small handful of numbers. And like, here they are, like you don't have all these other characters that I thought that maybe you would have in this 
decrepit hotel. Like Bobby Benson should oh, yeah. be in this hotel. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, sure. Wayne, Wayne and Wanda are not. I mean, oh, I guess Wanda's kind of gone, but like Wayne's not there. You know, that's you know, weird. that's in this British kind of you know weirdo haven. Yeah. Um, so oh. I was I was sort of surprised that they got like big big play here. Um, but uh, they I, do, I, and th- I guess I think it's because the Happiness Hotel song is like, like a country number. Could be. Yeah, you, that's you know? a good theory. Um. But you you talked about having VHS copies of those tapes. I remember pausing this on VHS to like get a good look at all the weird eyes, like <laughs> in, in yeah. high school. I definitely did that. I just, just to, I mean, I did not do that in high school, but I did do it today. And <laughs> are they just papered over? I th- yeah, I think that's right. Because it's a so. really convincing effect. I mean, again understanding that nobody in the theater would be able to like stop and pause and look. It's really good effect. The other thing is they did a really good job of keeping all the Muppets in the same position in the frame. Totally. I don't know if the puppeteers were just holding their arms up, which seems like that would be exhausting while, while somebody went around and stuck all these other eyes on or, or what, but yeah, they did a great job with that. They could have also like taken a photo and used it for reference. <laughs> right. Just kind of you, put something, you know. yeah, to, like, you were here, move a little bit to your left, you were over here. Yeah. Right. Could be. Um, but also, we didn't talk um, about Ker- Kermit's eyes, which Kermit's eyes are a very distinctive shape. And here they're just little dots. And that's the weirdest one to me. E- like, even weirder <laughs> than all the characters who don't normally have eyes. Is this Kermit the only time that he would have uh, that he would have had those dots without the lines and more like Robin like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I certainly can't think of any other time. Because yeah, all the other else. all the other Muppet frogs have regular eyes. Kermit's the only one that has that sort of special, right? Yeah, I I think so that the others don't look like Kermit. So right, yeah. so sort right. of he's visually distinct. And Kermit was such an early puppet of Jim Henson's. I, I think that might have just been kind of like he was just. Uh, getting started or just experimenting with different kinds of designs. Like, yeah, it's, it's the, the shape of Kermit's normal eyes are pretty weird in themselves. Right. But you're right. He had, he had more time when he was building Kermit as a teenager to mess around with weird eyes. <laughs> right. Like this is what did. a frog's yeah. eyes look like. There know. are, uh, so there are four characters who are in the number who are not in the closing shot, except, not including Gonzo. And so Do Gaffer, you, we don't get to see Gaffer's other eyeball. We don't get to see Gaffer's other eyeball. That's a shame. Pop, let's see. Pops is there. Um, <laughs> yeah, can Beaure- you, can- Beaure- Beauregard is not there. I think but he's, he's not in the off. number either. Isn't that right. him way off to the left? I didn't. No, I don't believe so. Maybe not. Well, I don't oh, no, 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 see no, you're him right. in the movie until the cap. Yeah, no, you're right. That's oh. not him. Um, so now I'm trying to think who else. Um... I mean, I guess the rats, are there rats in this at the end? There are other rats, are. but I, I count Rizzo as a representative. It's Lou, the girl from the Jug Band, oh, Annie sure. Sue, huh. and Louis Kazager. Hmm. And so, I was noticing, I was like, oh gosh, they got rid of two, possibly three of the girls. Right. Because um, I thought that Gaffer was a girl um, because Catherine Mullen yeah, formed Gaffer, we, but I can't know, we I actually don't know talk- for sure. We actually talked about that last week. I, about... I think it's sort of inconclusive. Yeah. Um, I, I also noticed uh, before Kermit and Fozzie come into the frame, uh, there are two chickens dancing along with everyone, and they kind there of are. cover up the chickens. 
Yeah, um, they get obscured. Yeah, but then after the flash goes off, there's a moment where you can kind of see the top of one of the chickens' heads. Yeah, you can see one of their eyeballs, a teensy bit. They did, in fact, even change the eye on the chicken that you can't see yeah. for that shot. And yeah. I think that that is, that is dedication to detail. It is, but you, yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because you'd never notice it unless you were... Unless for some crazy reason you were watching this thing two minutes at a time. Because I counted that you need at least 11 puppeteers. Wow. Because um, including the two obscured chickens, there are 22 puppets in that shot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why this this whole thing seems so impressive to me, this number. Yeah, and I think sure. that it's such a great... Um, one of the things that I think is so hard to do in movie musicals um and i guess i think it's harder when it's something that's adapted from a broadway show than when it's something that's written original for uh for the screen is a really good button on a song in a stage production people applaud um and you have all of that energy and in a movie people don't generally applaud but you still have that energy at the end of a song and you need to find a way to release it a little bit move into the next thing and i think that the use of that um, that photo is terrific. And of course, then it segs into, you know, another button, which is maybe one of the greatest, you know, shots and lines in all of Muppet Dumb. <laughs> That's true. I, I should say though that, uh, Peter, I'm pretty sure you taught me what a button is in musical theater many years <laughs> ago when we were talking... We were talking about the Muppets Wizard of Oz, of all things, and you were commenting on how there were no buttons on any of those musical numbers. <laughs> really? That's, that's that's wonderful. I'm so glad. That's Amazing. how I learned it. So, yes, um, what is the next... Uh, oh, did you have something, Anthony? Well, just... There's, there's also, like, a mini button, which is Gonzo cackling as he takes the picture. That's oh, true. That's true. While, while he's taking the picture, Gonzo's just kind of like... <laughs> and it's almost like... The, the constricted pupils make him believe that he is causing discomfort in others and they must love it as much as he does or something. <laughs> like it's, it's just this gleeful laugh that I, I really like, but yeah, it, that's, that's very gonzo in this movie. Well, I was going to say he's such a weirdo, but again, you know, then Sam comes out and I think the most beautiful part to a true Muppet fan is not that Sam comes out and calls them all weirdos, but that of course Sam lives there. With all the weirdos. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he does the shifty eyes, he slams the door. It's just such a, a brief but perfect joke. Well, and, and he does You Are All Weirdos, and then as he closes the door, he goes, yuck. <laughs> right. Which I think is, like, the best thing about it. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> as Muppet fans, and, uh, you know, people wanted to see all their favorite characters when they went to see this movie. So you have to have Sam in there somewhere. Somewhere. It doesn't really make sense for him to be living with all these crazy characters. But it does but... because it's well, just it's, it's just a British Muppet theater with those right, no days. Right. Well, and, right. And, and like I mean that was always kind of the subtext of Sam on the Muppet show, right? And then and then it becomes text in Muppet Family Christmas when Sam has two lines and one of them is why am I here? Right. And this this sort of seems to be like a, a companion to that line later. Right. Where, yeah, it, it's just perfect. This is all you need. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets Sam in the movie. Um, it's interesting to note that in the July 22nd, 1980 draft of the screenplay, there's a moment during the song where they establish that Sam is actually the house detective. 
which I don't think really? is as good. No, but, I don't think it's as good. I love. I think it's always the best when it's inexplicable why he's there. Yes, but, but there's some they, great, great shame in Sam's past that he that he can't be anywhere more respectable than that. But do we think that James Bobin and Nick Stoller revived that idea in Muppets Most Wanted? Oh, right, because he was a, a detective there, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, I don't know. I, I don't oh. know if they've read the script. Also, does it make anyone else want to write a parody of the They Might Be Giants song, She Was a Hotel Detective, about Sam the Eagle? I had not thought of that, but I think you should do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so he says in this in the draft, he says it's his job to enforce the rules, including no elephants in your room after six o'clock. Which uh, there's, you, yeah, you can't really see it in the next scene that takes place in the room. But there is a shot somewhere in this movie where you can see that there's a sign on the back of the door of the hotel room that says no elephants in the room after six o'clock. Oh, that's so, good. I never yeah. Heard. So, so that gag survived in the final film in some form. That's wonderful. Um, there's also a line where he tells Fozzie not to tip the rats because he says they're very proud. They have children in college. <laughs> Is that why Fozzie doesn't tip the rat in the next scene? Well, maybe, but I don't... That Because I couldn't figure it out. It felt like a strangely awkward moment. Well, yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it really makes sense either way. Uh, if, the chil- if the rats have children in college, I would think that they would appreciate tips. Because I think maybe back then college didn't cost like your left leg and your liver. That's probably true. I think the implication was like the kids are out of the house. They don't need... You know, they don't need your. They don't need your, your charity. Your, yeah, your charity. Yes, but also it's it's this is London. Nobody tips in Europe. Oh, that's a good point. They're always. I mean, the joke is that they're always trying to trick Americans into tipping in Europe because they don't know any better. So you would not be expected to tip a uh, a bellboy in a in a. British I believe hotel. that all gratuities are included in in uh, in places like that. I know that for sure when. I mean, the story on Europeans is that they come to the United States and they don't know that they're supposed to tip, and that's the right. problem. Hmm. Well, Fozzie doesn't know that he's supposed to tip uh, Rizzo, despite Rizzo holding his hand out. Fozzie just kind of says, thank you, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rizzo seems uh, nonplussed by that. I, so. I, I spent a lot of time Googling bellhop hats because I was trying to figure out if... <laughs> If Rizzo's hat was some sort of like special kind of bellhop leader hat, and I think it's just a weird yellow hat meant to indicate that he's Rizzo, right? To make him stand out from the other rats, he is. Yeah, he's wearing. It looks kind of like a like a fishing hat almost. It looks a little bit like a fishing hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny. Well, and um, spe- speaking of Rizzo, it's pretty exciting to me that he's identified by name here. Oh, one of the other rats calls him Rizzo. One of them says, "Come he on, does, Rizzo. yeah." Yeah, and yeah. like that had happened on the Muppet Show, like at least in the Joan Baez episode. I I know that, but like this is this is a movie, and it's a, like that guy's gonna be gonna be important later. And so this this feels like his origin story, even though it really isn't. For yeah, it, he's becoming more and more of a character, which will kind of uh, reach a new a new uh, point in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and like it, you said, they're definitely finding a way to visually differentiate him, making sure that he's in the group shot without the other rats. Um, well, I giving think him I th- little special bits of business. Yeah, I mean that's Steve Whitmire kid. He's going places. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. good for Rizzo. Um, so they're checking out their room. Um, 
before we go any further, something I just noticed for the first time. Fozzie's suitcase appears to have multiple uh, polka dotted neckties. Really? I had never noticed that before. I had not noticed that. Like, which that's is, all you can see in this open suitcase. Which is also, a, like, I know there are many examples of that joke, but the one I always think of is Rescue from Gilligan's Island, where Gilligan has an entire closet full of that sailor's outfit. Um, I always think of the scene in Ernest Goes to Jail, where Ernest is preparing to go on a date, and he looks in his closet, and it's all the same gray t-shirts and denim vests. Sure, yeah, yeah, there you go. And, like, here's the thing. Like, uh, Bob Denver, Jim Varney, and Fozzie, that's, that's not that different, that's not that wide of a spectrum. Like, that is no, true. It's not. it's not so much of a leap between those characters. Right. Um, and Fozzie has a teddy bear, which is adorable. Yeah. Um, which is like a, a human having a doll human. Yeah, it's, it, see, at, at first I was kind of like, is that weird that a bear has a little, bear but no it's just the same as a, a human having a doll and yeah. that you know maybe adorable like hand licking doll ritual that he does <laughs> <laughs> yeah he he licks his hand and then uses it to sort of groom the, the bear's groom fur which i don't doll, know if that's yeah. a, a bear thing or just a, a silly frank oz ad lib i think it might yeah. be a silly frank oz ad lib <laughs> most likely um and then fozzy is also a moment in just a moment he's wearing a nightcap Yes, which is also adorable. adorable. Muppets and hats. And it's one of these uh, clever little puppet filmmaking tricks where we see him pick up the the cap, pull it out of his suitcase, and then uh, it cuts to a shot of Kermit speaking. And when it cuts back, the nightcap is on Fozzie's head and he's pushing it down as if he just put it on, which huh. is a lot easier than you know, trying to get this puppet to actually pull a cap on over his head. Yeah, that's but, awesome. But, I didn't think But the that. editing in these movies and, you know, the show as well, but it's just all of these little tricks that give it this effortless feel. But all of it has to be planned. Right. Yeah. And they really know what they were knew what they were doing by this point. And it's like, let's, you know, what uh what else can we do? Like let's have Fozzie put on a nightcap between takes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Kermit says they should get some sleep before the, uh, they interview Lady Holiday tomorrow. That's a good reminder to the audience of why they're actually there because they haven't, <laughs> right. they haven't they, actually remember the plot. Yes, exactly. They haven't talked about the plot in a few minutes. Uh, and then the, the three of them settle down in the bed, which flips up into the wall because it's a Murphy bed, which is a terrific gag. Well, and talk about timing. I mean, that the way that they they all climb into bed and then the Murphy bed goes up and then it stays on one shot, right? And Kermit says, can someone turn out the light? And then the light bulb drops with, without it cutting away. It's beautiful. It's, it's so yeah. wonderful. It's and then so he thanks it. Because there's no cut. And then he thanks it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, you're right. The bed flips up and then in the same shot, Kermit yeah. says, can someone turn off the lights? And that's when... I mean, obviously, there's, you know, like a crew member pushing a button to trigger the light to fall down. Right. But it's so much funnier because it doesn't cut away, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's not just yeah. that the light has to fall down. The light is has to turn off. You know what I mean? Like, there's all of these little things that have to happen at the same time for that effect to be right. That's true, because there's um, there has to be some other kind of film lighting. The whole room is not just being lit by that light bulb, so... And then yeah. you have you know, the, the part where the where the bed goes in, you know, it... 
I was getting excited. I was like, oh, it's, they're going to throw the Muppet, and, and they don't exactly. But you do see the bed start to lift, and that's, again, you've got three uh, performers under there, at least, you know, four probably with Fozzie. Right. Um, to, to be part of that effect and then move out of the way so they can get the shot where it actually closes. Um, and, you know, the, the, there are some great throw them up at shots elsewhere in, in, in the film that some under other wonderful people will have an opportunity to talk about. Um, I, yes. I believe it's in the next Although I, I will say, I bet it's only three puppeteers because Fozzie is holding his teddy bear. So I bet his, I bet his, mm. his right arm is like pinned to his chest. Yeah, probably. Y- you know, so that they don't have to worry about an extra guy. Right. Yeah. But still, still really impressive, obviously. Very impressive. They go a long way for just one gag, or two gags, I guess, with the light bulb trapping. Right. Well, it's a running gag. It will be, yes. That's a good teaser. Oh, spoilers. I'm sorry, folks. That's all right. That'll <laughs> give people a reason to keep listening to the podcast so they can find out what we're talking about. Yep, they've never seen it. Um, this, I, I was thinking about this. As a kid, I always wished that I had a Murphy bed or that at least I could sleep in a Murphy bed. And I think this movie is probably the number one reason for that. Yeah, me too. I think that I've always been terrified of Murphy beds. And this movie (laughs) is also probably the reason for that. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure they've also been in other comedies and cartoons and stuff. But yeah, I think this is where I first encountered them. Uh, That So then it transitions to another location. Do either of you... Yes, I have something. You have something. Go ahead. Uh, Fozzie says that he's hungry, and Rizzo tells him that there's no food at right. one point during here. And Which is, we, is in line with the song, right? There's no kitchen. Right, right. A there's chef. no kitchen. But, but we know from later in the movie that there is a kitchen and that the Swedish chef works there because he comes out. Remember, the steering wheel goes into the pot. And hey, Swedish wait a minute. Pot. So here's my theory. Here's my theory. Rizzo, who we know from later appearances, he, one of his defining characteristics is that he eats everything. He loves to eat food. He's a, <laughs> he's a real glutton. He tells the guests that there's no kitchen so that he gets to eat all of the food. That's my theory. Wow. I, I like that. That uh, is an interesting theory. Yeah. That insane fan theory just blew my mind. <laughs> uh, so he, do you although, think he actually passes because, the orders to the chef? Just because there is a kitchen and a Swedish chef, does not mean that there is edible food. That's that's true, right? Because doesn't he keep comes to? Well, we'll talk about it later. But it's like spaghetti on the steering wheel, and Janice says again, or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, do you think Rizzo though is like going down to the chef and saying, "Hey, uh, the guest up in room number three wants a big plate of cheese." Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then a- Rizzo eats it and gets that that little tummy that he gets after he eats. <laughs> right. It's quite a racket. Uh, Peter, did you have anything else about the Happiness Hotel before we leave its confines? Um, I don't believe that I did. All right. That brings us then to uh, Lady Holiday's office, beginning with an exterior shot, which is in London. I don't know the address, but I can tell you that this building is still there and looks very similar because my wife and a previous guest of this podcast and composer of the theme song, Stacy Rosen, uh, recently went on a trip to England and she dropped by a few Muppety locations, including this building. Oh my. So yeah, awesome. I love that. Although I generally assume that buildings in Europe will be there when you go to try to find them later, but that's you mostly don't... because Eddie has told me that they would be. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> you don't think they do a lot of like tearing things down to build new condos? Not like we do. Right. You're probably correct about that. Uh, and then that brings us into Lady Holiday's office, where she is uh, on the phone, apparently speaking to someone in Milan, while she sort of flits about doing work on her new fashion line. So I was um, trying to decide whether or not she was actually taught, whether or not the joke was that she's actually talking to someone named Milan. Well, I don't know though, because later she says, call the United States and tell them they can't have photographs of the spring line. Mm, so she also talks about the United States. Like it's the name of a Paris. person that they're going to call. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think that's just how she talks. Like that's yeah, just no, how I she know. refers to her, you know, colleagues or clients or whatever. And, yeah, I thought I know it would have been funny the... if Milan was a person. Because you always say, get Milan on the phone. And then like if Milan were somebody, you'd be like, hey. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when they she would answers the phone. Like that. Yes, when she answers the phone, she says something like, Milan? Oh, okay, put him on. So, yeah, they probably should have done that gag. It would, where were you? Also it would be a very stuff. Jerry Jewel gag. Very Jerry Jewel gag to do. Yes. Boy, but that was also, a tongue twister, sh- huh? <laughs> yeah. They should have also have her know someone named the United States. Yes. Yes. So, I probably uh, shouldn't go around too often saying, hey, that Jerry Jewel jag. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Um, but yeah, no, we're doing great stuff here. We should rewrite this entire screenplay. Yes, it would be, <laughs> it would be better, I'm sure. I'm sure that the Muppets best movie of all time would be better if we sat down and rewrote it. Yep. I think so. So what we have in the movie that we do have is uh, Lady Holiday. She's inspecting one of her models, and then uh, without warning, she cuts off a large block of the model's hair. <laughs> so I love good. that. Well, I and love I love the... Can I say something about her cutting the model's hair? Yeah. The way that Diana Rigg plays it, where it's almost like an afterthought. She's on the phone. She's focused on what she's talking about on the phone. And it's just like... As subtle as you can be with a giant pair of scissors cutting someone's hair. <laughs> it is a large pair that's, of scissors. That's how subtle, like, it's, it's, it's like almost a background gag, the way that she placed it, even yeah. though it's a giant pair of scissors. It's so impressive. Yes. Uh, but then, if you ask me, they top it a, a moment later when she's looking at another model, and she reaches for uh, an uh, a bottle of ink and just splashes ink all over the model's gown. <laughs> and my favorite and, is the last bit of ink where she's like, no, that wasn't enough there. That's right. Just a right. little dribble on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, and then all the, all the onlookers applaud. That's what I yes. like. Yes. All I, her, her very. And honestly, I look at it and I'm like, Oh, I think it might be better <laughs> <laughs> with the ink. I mean, I don't know anything about fashion, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm probably inclined to agree. Yeah, although th- that is the second time you've said that, Ryan. That I don't know anything about fashion. Yes, yes, and uh, uh, and I'll say it again: you're going to be so taken aback by the flutter of Godet's. <laughs> um, I love the idea that that's going to be your your arc for this movie is that you learn to know things about fashion. <laughs> when did I say it before? I have no memory. You said of it. That. You said it. We were talking about. I don't remember. It was something about probably the last time Lady Holiday was on or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, wow. No, that's... I can't wait. I just I just know that the third time that he says it, that some giant Muppet <laughs> monster called I don't know some, anything about fashion appears. <laughs> Got anything cheaper? 
Uh, yeah. Muppets uh, so are good. All right. They, they are. Muppets uh, so are I don't great. generally think of Lady Holiday when I think of this movie as being a comedic character, but she's really funny here. She is. And I, I, I was watching it and part of me was wondering, you know, did Meryl Streep kind of use any of this as inspiration for Devil, you know, Where's Prada? It has a oh, very sort of, it yeah. has a very... Anna Wintour kind of vibe before I guess there was an Anna Wintour. I mean, yeah, I'm sure Anna Wintour was alive then. Yeah, she was. Um, she was probably alive in 1981. <laughs> probably Lady Holiday was doing it first. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Diana Riggs' sort of general career overview a little bit uh, in a previous episode when we first saw her. But uh, Peter, do you have any general comments about Diana Rigg? Um, my comment about Diana Rigg. Uh, no, she's just kind if, of awesome. Yeah. She's done, you know, uh, she uh, performed the role of Phyllis in the original London uh, production of Follies. And because yeah. she couldn't dance as well as the actress who performed it in New York, they wrote her a totally separate song uh, for her oh. big musical moment at the end of the show. Um, and it's uh, the the original uh, song is called the story of Lucy and Jesse, and the other song is called Abbott Underneath, and it's more of a like a stripteasey kind of number. So there's movement, but not a lot of dance. And Sondheim wrote it for her, and I love both of those numbers. And if I ever was to if I were ever to direct that show, I wouldn't know which one to keep in because they're both uh, uh, both terrific. They're both terrific numbers. Sure. Wow, that's cool. When did she do that? 1987. Okay, so it was after this. Did somebody just actually Google that? Yeah, I just had it open. I looked it up while you were talking about it. Good to know. Quick draw, but Google. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, a li- you... I'm a librarian, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> He's our uh, to have media knowledge handy. Uh, a few years ago, Diana Rigg did a random roles interview with uh, Stephen Bowie of the AV Club. And she said she did this movie because her young daughter loved the Muppets. Her daughter was about five or six at the time, and when she brought her daughter to the set, uh, her daughter saw the Miss Piggy puppet in real life and burst into tears. Aww. Oh, that's super cute. Apparently she was, uh, she was not prepared for how large Miss Piggy actually was, because she was smaller on the TV screen. Aww. Um, and then I actually found an excerpt from uh, Diana Rigg, The Biography, by Kathleen Tracy, where Diana Rigg says, um, where Lady Holiday's title comes from, I'm not exactly sure. I suppose she was born into the gentry or she married a lord. In terms of my characterization, I suspect it was the latter. I don't really think she's on her own running one of London's most elegant fashion houses. So I guess (laughs) we don't know. There's no clue in the movie as to why she's Lady Holiday and not just... You know, Ms. Holiday or, or just, Miss Holiday. It just sounds more British. Like, I it think does. I think that's all. It does. Um, interesting follow-up to that. Uh, according to an entry on Jim Henson's Red Book blog, uh, in the first draft of the screenplay, the character was named Countess Santorini. Oh, man. Yeah, it Countess. just seems like too that's, many syllables or well, something. I think if your character is... I think that if this character is named Countess Santorini, you get, like, Kay Ballard to play her. Right, you don't. You don't <laughs> so get it, 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 Yeah, that's a good. I think you're right about that. You, you, you would have to be a little bit more of a 
a silly performance. Yeah. Um, and then... And with an entirely different accent. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, that yeah. would be a much more, like, over-the-top, stereotypical, like, upper-crust British accent. Yeah. Um, and then when the film was in development, uh, various newspapers, including show business columnist Thomas Schoenmacher, reported in 1980 that... Lauren Bacall will play the role of a disapproving aunt of an actor who falls in love with Miss Piggy in the sequel to the Muppet movie. What? Charles yeah. Grodin was to have a disapproving aunt? Played by Lauren Bacall. From her head I, to her toes. <laughs> Man. I just found that, and I, I don't think I had ever heard it before. I don't know how far along they got in the process before Lauren Bacall was no longer attached to it for whatever reason, but that would be a, a, a different movie. I don't know. I don't know. Would it be better or worse? What do you think? I, I mean, I, I think it's impossible to say that a theoretical movie would be better than the, than the movie that we have. Um, I'd like the idea an awful lot of, of, of Lauren Bacall in a Muppet thing, you know, you know, what? She, yeah. I, she's delight. I think that, this particular Muppet thing has the exact right balance for it of yeah. human to Muppetness. Like it's a it's a well, I, super I, saturated solution. If you added more human to it, the well, whole I, thing would I, fall apart. I, I I imagine that in that version, there's no Lady Holiday. There's there's the Lauren Bacall character instead. I see. An yeah, that's what I assumed version. is that you, she you know, was. Yeah. She sort of played that role of the. Yeah, the disapproving relative of Nikki Holiday. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I, I would also note that Lauren Bacall is only eleven years older than Charles Grodin, <laughs> but maybe uh, they wouldn't have cast him either. You know, in in that case. Uh, yeah, and he he be. had a very boyish, very boyish look at that time, and she always he, he did. Yeah, a, I mean, he's he's forty six years old in this movie. Really, I don't think uh-huh. I knew that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a little bit old to be getting that much ketchup on your cummerbund. It is. <laughs> yeah. No. But which which also means, by the way, that he's fifty seven in Beethoven, which seems impossible. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Joints. I would expect that he would be about forty six in Beethoven. I guess. Right. Right. So. So. Anyway. Wow. Charles Grodin. Wow, that's like uh, movie magic or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this clip ends with Lady Holiday uh, staring critically at three of her models, but we will have to wait until next week to hear exactly what she's thinking about their outfits. So uh, let's see. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts about these minutes? Peter, I will start with you. Could you end with me? Okay. <laughs> um, so, no, no, I no. mean, I'm, I'm mostly just delighted to be here. Um, I uh, no, I don't have the pedigree of some of the other guests that you've had. And I'm honored. And um, I think that this is just such a, a fun uh, movie. Uh, I, you know, the Muppet movie has the specialist place in my heart. Um, but I really do love uh, just how committed they are to making this the funniest movie it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely. So fun. Um, yeah. I don't have anything else. I, I got to all my notes. All right. Um, so Peter, I guess, uh, then briefly we can ask you, you, you just mentioned the Muppet movie is, is, I guess if, if it's the one in, in your heart, is that your favorite one? Yeah. Muppet movie is my favorite for sure. So where does um, this one rank? 
You know, it's interesting. I have more of a personal connection, and I just because I watched it more often, um, to the Muppets Take Manhattan, but I don't think it's as good as this one. Um, yeah. It, it, like I said, it has a lot of moments that have a lot of I have a lot of nostalgia for and that tie in my heartstrings, but I don't think that it's a solid a movie as this one. Um, and then I love, you know, Muppet. Uh, Christmas Carol, and that's when they stopped making them. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you will you will not be joining us again for the 2011 Jason Siegel movie? Uh, there is a lot to like about the Jason Siegel movie. There is. Um, and there's a lot to like about Muppets Most Wanted as well. I'm, I feel like it's interesting. In, in one of the podcasts from the Muppet movie, you talked about the fact that Jerry Jewell didn't write... Um, Muppets Take Manhattan. Muppets Take Manhattan. And there was some speculation as to why. Was he working on Fraggle Rock? I wonder if it's that Frank Oz wanted more, he wanted more to shape it into what he wanted it to be. I feel like once Jerry Jewell stopped writing the Muppets, something, some people are getting close, but there's something about it that just doesn't have that quality. Yeah. Um, By By the way, weird thing. Jerry Jewell co-wrote Muppet Treasure Island and it like is on the DVD. He and Kirk Thatcher like talk about their collaboration. So it's not, it's not a situation where he wrote a draft and they discarded it. I don't think, I just think that it's a bad movie that Jerry Jewell co-wrote. Everybody gets one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, we'll talk about that in a few years, but um, <laughs> definitely it's a testament to how just how great Jerry Jewell was. And he definitely does not get enough credit or, or recognition from the general public for his contributions to the Muppets. Absolutely. Right. Well, you guys know Jim Henson wrote everything, right? And played all the characters and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Jim Henson, the performer of Miss Piggy. Yes. And he created Sesame Street and wrote every episode. Yeah, wrote, that was crazy how I had time to do it's all It's weird. Those. He actually wrote every sketch on Sesame Street, including the he animations, actually, yeah. everything. It was good. He actually performs Gordon and Linda. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird how he kept changing his uh, look as Gordon in the early seasons. <laughs> Awful. All right. I can't even think of a response to that. So with that, it is time to say the stuff we always say at the end of the episode. Uh, listeners, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all of those things and places. Um, you can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe, and Anthony is on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Peter, where, if anywhere, can people find you on the internet? I don't do the tweeting, and I think there's one picture on my Instagram. So... <laughs> You you keep an ear out, and maybe I'll come back to this place. Uh, we'd, lo- we'd love to have you. And uh, listeners, if you're so inclined, please give us a positive review on iTunes or wherever, and tell all your friends about the show. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. See you later. Say cheese. Are we saying cheese?